Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. If you're going through something or when you go through something and it feels like everything is gone or everything is lost, even if something is lost, that if you look and really think about it and really feel what's going on, there's some lesson there. There's something that you're gaining. Anytime you feel like you're losing something, you're gaining something. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. On today's Truth Prescription Podcast, I'm going to talk about a topic very personal to me, but I'm talking about it really to illustrate a point. The basic point that I want to get across is that oftentimes when we're in a situation where we feel like we have nothing, we actually have everything. So let's jump in a time machine, and I'm going to take you back to 2007. Now, I was working in an emergency department during my training, and at this time, I was not, as most most younger people, I didn't know what consciousness meant or what the hell it was about or anything. You know, you get up, you do what you do, you go to sleep, it's over. And I was not very conscious. I wasn't conscious of my feelings. I wasn't conscious of my movements. I wasn't conscious really of what I really thought at the core. And those things sort of translated over to my work. So I was, it was like three o'clock in the morning. I was super tired. I was on probably the fourth or fifth day of an overnight shift. And this woman comes in who looks like she might be homeless, but not sure. And the only reason I say that is because of the odor, the clothes. And she came in for tooth pain. So, again, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I've been working since 7 p.m. I'm tired. And this woman comes in. I'm like, okay, rather than just throw some narcotics at her and get her out of here, let me actually try to help this lady. So we're in the exam room. Sit down. I grab a needle, and I'm getting ready to do what's called a dental block, which is essentially you hit a certain nerve inside of the mouth, and you're able to numb an entire row of teeth. I was like, you know what? Let me just numb this lady out, put some some Marcaine in there. She'll be numb for 12 hours. She can get to the dentist in the morning and feel better. So I dropped the Marcaine into the syringe, start palpating inside this lady's mouth, find my landmark. I place the needle in the area where the nerve runs. She starts to shake a little bit because it's a little uncomfortable. And I inject. And as I'm pulling out, 
one of my co-residents call my name and I look up at her and inadvertently stick the needle back in as, as I'm looking at her and stick it directly into my finger. <laughs> Again, I was tired, but still unaware. Just the awareness wasn't there. So, of course, I thought, shit, <laughs> you know, with a, with a capital T, shit. And went through the whole process, ended up contracting hepatitis from this interaction with this patient. And I didn't find out for probably another six months, but I started to have some stomach pains and I just, I really wasn't feeling well. I started treatment. Treatment didn't really work. And the reason it didn't work was because I wasn't being compliant with the regimen. <laughs> I was not prepared or ready at that time to fully take care of myself. The regiment was tough. The regiment was arduous. I felt sick all the time. I started like skipping doses. And that's probably part of the reason why it didn't work. Basically, my doctor at the time was, hey, well, we got your viral load down to a certain amount. Maybe some new medications will come out later. So fast forward a few years and I'm in a marriage that's probably not healthy for either party. I don't say probably wasn't healthy for either party. And I started like this. By this point, I wasn't training anymore. I was a, an attending. I was working in Queens. And by this point, I was working a lot, a lot of it to sort of just stay away from home because, you know, I wasn't wasn't really happy. But I started getting like a lot of pain, a lot of abdominal pain, which is weird because I, you know, I'm normally pretty healthy. And the whole hepatitis thing, I just kind of forgot about. I was like, ah, well, whatever. Which again, <laughs> goes back to awareness, right? So I'm getting all this pain. And one day it got so bad, I actually went from being the attending working to being a patient. They actually had to hook me up to some IVs, give me some pain medicine. It was pretty bad. So I went to my doctor and she did all these tests and she said, you know, it looks like your hepatitis is flaring up and it's really bad. Like your numbers are through the roof. And I was like, damn. So I realized I needed to take this seriously. And I was kind of getting to a point in my development where I was just starting it. And this sounds kind of crazy at, you know, age 30 something, just starting to kind of take personal responsibility for things and, and really personal responsibility for my own care. And I knew that, you know, I'm like, damn, I'm making a certain salary. In order to do this treatment, you can't work because once you do the treatment, you're basically out of commission. The medication, which I'll talk to a little bit later, taking that medication is kind of like taking chemotherapy. Um, the drug is sort of in that class. And so you're tired, you're nauseous, you just, you know, you're not able to work. And I remember that from the first time because when I was a, a resident and I did the treatment, I was out for like maybe three months. So I said, all right, I'm going to take this on. So I go to basically give all the documentation, get it to you know my job and let them know, basically, I'm going to have to go out as I start this treatment. So I start the treatment. This was maybe around February. And I'm taking the medication. I'm feeling like shit. I don't want to eat. And the, the, the regimen is five pills a day and an injection every day. The injection burns like hell. So it's like I'm literally causing myself pain to try to treat this thing. And while all this is going on, my marriage is like basically on the, it's, it's, it was already on the decline, but it's 
declining now super fast. A lot of arguments. But I noticed a change. What was starting to happen with me was that I cared less and less. And when I say that, I mean, I was dealing essentially with a life or death situation. You know, whatever my ex was complaining about, whatever she was upset with me about, it kind of all became one big Peanuts episode, the wonk, 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 because I knew that, you know, not only did I not feel well, the best way I can explain it to you guys is imagine waking up every single day for an extended period of time like you have the flu. You get a fever of 102, 103, you got body aches, you're nauseous as hell, you don't want to eat anything, you're weak. I remember in the beginning, I used to keep a urinal by my bed because I couldn't, I mean, just getting up to go to the bathroom. I would become extremely short of breath and have to like sit down and stop in the bathroom was five, six feet away. So it's imagine dealing with that every day. So that's what I was dealing with. And all of it came to a head and we got into this huge argument. I had to call the police and, you know, she left. And I remember probably maybe two or three days later. Now, my youngest daughter was... Obviously, she took her, she happened to be in school, so she went and took her, and they went somewhere. I don't even know where they went. But I'm dealing with this life-threatening thing and this daily, daily pain. And so I remember her calling me and saying, basically, like, are we going to work this out, or when, when, when am I going to come home, or something along those lines. And I just remember having this epiphany in that moment to say to her, with everything that has gone on, Do you really think that this relationship is worth salvaging, right? Here I am, you know, dealing with this situation. And because of the relationship, these scars in the relationship and the bad blood that has built up over the years, you felt it was okay to basically cause uh, this kind of trauma when I'm going through, through my own trauma. And I don't blame her, right? Because she was going through her own pain. And clearly I was going through my own pain. But my point is that the relationship was so in tatters that she felt okay taking that action in that, in, at that time. So here I am, sick, barely able to take care of myself in the house by myself. And I just had this, that, this epiphany when I said that to her. And she really couldn't answer me. Her answer was kind of like, well, I want my marriage And my question was, well, do you want to be married to me? And she really couldn't answer that. And it was at that moment that I knew this relationship probably wasn't for me. But I say that and I say this to this day that if I hadn't gotten sick or rather if I hadn't chosen to take care of myself, I may in fact still be in that same relationship. I don't know. It may have ended anyway, but that definitely was the catalyst for me to really take the stance. And it's kind of like when you're dealing with a life-threatening situation, everything else becomes irrelevant because it's either I die or I live. And once I made the choice to live, anything that's not helping me live, I'm not even trying to hear it or deal with it. So I was sitting there in a house. I was sick as a dog. I was by myself. I didn't have any money because by this time, my um, time off and my you know, sick time had kind of run out at work and I was getting disability. My disability wasn't enough to pay my mortgage, right? So now my house is going into foreclosure because she's not in the house anymore to pay that. So I don't have money. I don't have my health. 
I don't have, you know, going out, we're going to the ego, the prestige of being a doctor. I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like 125 pounds wet. I look just sickly. I look ghastly <laughs> when I look at myself, right? And from all appearances, I have nothing. I'm devoid of everything that at that point in time, I, I don't have a relationship, right? So no relationship, no money, no, no prestige of being a physician, I can't even look look at myself and look in the mirror and say I'm pretty, you know, <laughs> because I looked horrible, right? I don't have my health, all of these things. I have nothing. And I was sitting there realizing I have everything. And it was such a profound moment. I have everything right now because in all of that, it was the first time in my life when I truly took the reins and took care of myself. And it was the lesson that the universe, God, whoever you believe in, had been trying to teach me for so many years. And for whatever reason, I just, I want to say I refused to learn it. I didn't allow myself to learn it. But this opportunity was the perfect cauldron of circumstances to come together to basically give me a life or death choice. Either you need to take care of yourself and whatever that means, right? Because if I was in a different relationship, then the relationship might not have ended. So it had nothing really to do with her. But since in that that time frame, the relationship was already not great, but in that time frame, that relationship was taking me toward the side of taking away my energy and I need my energy to live. And so when given that life or death choice, for the first time in my life, I chose me. I chose to take care of me for so long I had been trained or indoctrinated that everyone else's needs are more important than mine. So everything I had done at that point was to please everyone else. And something I've spoke about on another show, but I'll say it again here, after being molested, and this was when I was around nine or 10, something in my head said to me, well, your role is just to please people. That's what you're good for. Because these people, the, the, the individuals actually happened on two separate occasions. The individuals that did this to me were, quote unquote, friends. And then it got to a point when all of a sudden this assault occurred out of nowhere, at least for me. And I thought, oh, so it's not that I can just be friends with somebody, that there has to be some other ulterior motive or something they need from me. All right, so I'll play that role because in the end... I just want a friend, right? I just want to have friends. So if me having a friend or someone to love me or, or like me means I need to do something for them, then, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's what the young mind says. And it, and it translates and transfers and goes with you, you know, throughout life. And that's what it had done for me up until that point. I think at that point I was maybe 33, 32, 30, something, something around there. And so it was a fantastic, fantastic moment. And the things, you know, spiraled. I ended up, you know, getting a divorce and that took a while. But I just really want to let you guys know that if you're going through something or when you go through something and it feels like everything is gone or everything is lost, even if something is lost, that if you look and really think about it and really feel what's going on, there's some lesson there. There's something that you're gaining Anytime you feel like you're losing something, you're gaining something, whatever it is. Now, it may take years to figure it out, you know, as we grow. But if you're a seeker and you're someone, 
you know, who's listening to this show and you're trying to find your way and trying to find your place and trying to just be a better person and be your best, live your best life, (laughs) live my best life, (laughs) live your best life. If those are the things you're doing and those are the the ways you're seeking, you're going to find it. So that's really all I wanted to say on this Monday's Truth Prescription. And I love you guys. And remember, the truth will set you free if you let it.